number 16, we see Samson kind of praises himself for what has just happened. It says, And Samson said, With the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with the jaw of an ass have I slain a thousand men. There's a lot of I. Do you hear the I? I did this and I did that. Yeah. Verse 17, it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking, they cast away the jawbone out of his hand and called the place Ramath-Lehi. And he was sore athirst and called on the Lord and said, Thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant. Isn't that a little different than what we just read a few seconds ago? A few seconds ago, he's boasting about what he killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. I did this. Now, this is a totally different thing that he's saying here. We read here, it says, And he was sore of thirst and called on the Lord and said, Thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant, and now shall I die for thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised. But God clave a hollow place that was in the jaw, and there came water thereout. And when he had drunk, his spirit came again, and he revived. Wherefore, he called the name of the place Enhakori something close to that, which is in Lehi unto this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. And then you look at chapter 16, verse number 1, says, then went Samson to Gaza. So there is a 20-year space that takes place from verse, the end of verse 15 till chapter 16. And there's not much written about it. Samson, as we've looked at him and we've been talking about him for a while, we think about the judges, We've studied a lot of judges throughout the book of Judges. And they were a bright light that shone strong, that shined in a dark time in Israel's history. When Israel was in trouble, God would send them a judge, a deliverer, that would help them get out of the oppression they were in. And then after that judge would die, Israel would go back to doing the same things all over again. And then they would get in captivity again. And then they would try to get right with God, and God would send a judge. And we see the process being repeated over and over again throughout the book of Judges. But Samson's a little bit different than the other judges that we've read about. Most of the judges that we've studied, by faith and obedience to God, did what God wanted them to do. But we see with Samson, most of the time, he did not live by faith. He lived in the power of his own flesh. Samson spent most of his time <coughs> trying to please Samson. That was what Samson did. Um, physically speaking, Samson is one of the strongest men that has ever lived. He was quite strong. But spiritually, Samson's one of the weakest men we could read about in Scripture. Most of his exploits and most of his time against the Philistines up to this point has all been revenge based on something that he was not doing the work of God. Samson was very, he had a weakness. Women was his weakness. And the women that God would not have him to have is the ones that he went after. And Samson, when we look at him and we think about him, Samson, there's more scripture about Samson than any other judge. Yet, I, yet to me, as I read about Samson, I see so much wasted potential, so focused on self. And, you know, the, we read back in those verses when, the, when he took that jawbone and killed a thousand Philistines, the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. The Lord could have really done great things through Samson. And I know God did do some great things. And when Samson, when he dies, and all the Philistines that died that day, but think about the potential that Samson had. 
if he wasn't so focused on himself. And it's a trap that a lot of us fall into, myself included. Tonight we see, for the first time in the life of Samson that we've studied so far, we see his finest hour, his finest moment. Never in his life that we read about do we see him do any more great for God and actually think right than these three verses that we read tonight. In a moment of great desperation, he got thirsty. And he thought he was going to die and didn't know where he was going to get water from. He cast himself before God by faith. Samson is never stronger in his life than what he is right here before God. Because when we're weak, that's when God can be strong in our lives. And our physical strength does not compare to the strength of the Lord. There's no comparison between the two. And so for a little bit of time tonight, I want to look at this passage of Scripture, these couple of verses, and want to teach you and try and help all of us tonight with some things that we can learn from Samson. Most of Samson's life, I'll tell you this, as a Christian, we should not try to emulate it. But there are a lot of great lessons on things what not to do. And here's a great lesson on things to remind us of some things about God that are important to us. Number one, we see Samson's condition. We see Samson's condition. Verse, one, verse 18 there says, And he was sore athirst and called on the Lord and said, Thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant, and now shall I die for thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised. This passage opens up just right after Samson has killed the thousand Philistines. And can you imagine? You might be a little thirsty taking a jawbone and killing a thousand people with that jawbone. And we see as we dive in here, we see Samson's condition. We see the reason for it, number letter A. <coughs> the Bible tells us, if you go back to chapter 15 and verse number 1, the Bible says, but it came to pass within a while after in the time of wheat harvest. So this is the time, the wheat harvest is the time that Samson is here and what happened, you think about Samson, he's tired, he's um, hot, he's dehydrated, and this would have been time during the wheat harvest where it would have been hot outside. And the battle would have been extremely, take a physical toll on you as you do these things. And so that's the reason why he's so thirsty at this time. And then what we see is this, letter B, we see the reality of in verse 18, Samson suggests the fact that maybe he might die because he's so thirsty. Doesn't that remind you of someone else in the Old Testament? I always think of Esau. Esau comes back and tells brother, I need some food. I'm going to die if I don't get food. You know, was he really going to die? Because was it really that bad? Was Samson really that parched that he couldn't, you know, make it? Maybe he was, maybe not. But Samson believed that he could have this great victory, this great battle, great victory. And then he was going to die. What I want you to understand something is God brings us to points, and God did this for Samson right here. This is one of those times where I believe God brought him to the end of himself to show him that God was there. And God will do that from time to time. God allowed Samson to get a place of inability. Samson could not provide himself something to drink. He did that so he could learn the truth that none of us are self-sufficient. We cannot do it on our own. There are a lot of people in this world that think that they can do a lot of things, but the Bible does say, without me, you can do nothing. 
You know, he might have been able to kill a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, but he still needed God to provide the most basic need ever, something to drink. Samson learned a valuable truth that we need God. We are never, we need him. We can do nothing without him. And how many times do we act in our lives like we're self-sufficient and we don't need God, we don't need his help, but the truth is without him, like a helpless baby that can do nothing. We are dependent upon him for the very air that we breathe, the water we drink, the food we eat, and everything we enjoy in life. We're dependent on him. When we forget that, Sometimes God has to remind us of the fact that, hey, without me, you can't do the things you're doing. There's much truth about the fact without him we can do nothing. Paul talks about that. It's a lesson that we need to learn in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You can write down the reference, verse 7 through 11. Some great verses to look at about that. But we see Samson's condition. Number two, the thing that we see is Samson's cry. There in verse number 18, Thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant, and now shall I die for thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised. 27 words is all his prayer is. If you don't believe me, you can count it. It's right there before your eyes if you don't believe me. But Samson's prayer speaks volumes to us. He speaks volumes about himself and about God. First thing was, letter A, his cry was a cry of humility. This prayer poured out from Samson's lips is vastly different from that statement in verse number 16. Do you see back in verse number 16? And Samson said, with the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with the jaw of an ass have I slain a thousand men. There was no credit given to God for what happened there. But who gave Samson the victory there? Go back up to verse number 14. And when he came to Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him, and look what happened. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. The reason he was able to do what he did in verse number 16 was because of the fact that the Spirit of God worked in him and God brought victory. But Samson in verse 16 is saying, look at what I've done. But you've got to understand something. It wasn't about what Samson had done here. <coughs> when we look at and we look at these verses Samson had been brought to the end of his abilities. He humbles himself before God and acknowledges the fact that he's dependent upon the Lord. Samson knows that unless God intervenes and gets him some water, he said it, he's going to die. And there's no, and there's no, you think about this, you can't really glory in yourself when you can't provide even water for yourself. It's a good reminder for us when we come before God, We should never go to him and act like he owes us something. He's God. He is. We should come before him in humility. We should come to him humbly, remembering that he's the potter and we're the clay. Remembering that he is God and we are who we are. And yes, I know the Bible tells us and we should come boldly before the throne of grace but there should be some humility when you come before the presence of God. And we see that. We see here it was a cry of humility. We see it was also a cry of honor. Not only did Samson here humble himself and look to God to have his needs met, but he took time to exalt God in his prayer. 
And notice three ways that Samson honored the Lord when he prayed. The first thing was he acknowledged God's power. Look back there in verse number 18. And he was sore athirst and called on the Lord and said, Thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant, and now shall I die for thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised. Thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant. Samson acknowledges the fact that it may have been his hand that had the jawbone in it, but that it was God that brought the victory. His power. And again, this is a tremendous thing for us to think about. Sometimes we get so thinking so highly of ourselves, thinking of what we can do and how we can make it on our own. But you've got to understand something. Victory comes through Christ and Him alone. Victory in the Christian life comes as the Holy Spirit of God works in our lives. We don't give victory because we can find victory. We give victory through Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God which gives us the victory. We sing the song, Victory in Jesus. That's where it comes from. Our salvation is in Him. And we see that this cry of Samson was a cry of honor. He acknowledged God's power. How long has it been since you praise God for the victories He's gotten in your life? Oh, I didn't. No, 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 no. When we have victories in our life, he's the one who brought the victory. Always be dependent upon him and praise him for the victories that he gets in your life. Think of how many times when there seemed to be no way in your life that's going to work out, but his power was manifested in your life and praise him for it. We see that Samson, he acknowledges God's power. Number two, he acknowledges God's person. Not only does Samson praise God for delivering him, but do you see these words? Samson calls himself thy servant in this passage. Samson appears to figure something out here that God is the master and he's the servant. This is one of the, things, one of the reasons why I say that this was one of Samson's brightest moments. Because Samson was always doing his best to make Samson happy. The true master of Samson's life and most of the things that we read throughout the book of Judges was Samson. But Samson acknowledges the fact that he's the servant, that the Lord's the master. And we struggle with that one in life. No man can serve two masters. Who's master of your life? Is it the Lord? Is it you? Say, oh, well, I like to do the things of God, but I like to do my things my way too. Can't, it doesn't work that way. No man can have two masters. We need to remember, he purchased us. We're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. You see, tonight, church, we belong to him. We are his you know, how would it be, and I've used this example many a times over the past nine years, if I went up to that house out there, and I don't live there anymore, so that would be even, that'd be even more crazy, go knock on Ryan and Lori's door and say, hey, guess what, I decided to sell your house. You got to move out in a few weeks, and I'm selling the house, and I decided that. Be like, well, pastor, you don't have the right to sell that house. It's the church's house, church decision. That's the way it is. Or how would it be if I go to your house and put a for sale sign out in front of your house? Say, I'm selling your house. Sorry. Church needs some extra money. Finances have been rough. We're selling your house. How much do you owe on it? Good. We'll make some good money. Church will be in good shape. Be like, Pastor, you can't sell my house because I own that house. Oh, wait. No, the bank owns your house. 
but I couldn't go in there and sell your house because it doesn't belong to me. So how does it work for us that we think that we can do as we please, live our lives as we want, when we don't belong to ourselves? God bought us, and we belong to him. We are his possession. But I hear so many Christians, I'm going to live my life and do as I please. Don't you know you were bought with a price? And our whole goal should be to glorify and bring honor to the King of Kings with this earthen vessel that we have, that he's given to us. We see acknowledge God's person, then letter C, or number three, he acknowledged God's preeminence. Samson is worried they might die, and it says there at the end, fall into the hands of the uncircumcised. He seems to be concerned that if he dies in this matter, that the Philistines will take his body and use his death as a way to dishonor God. Samson's praying that God will spare him so that God may not be dishonored. Now, there's a verse in the Bible that would be a good one for all of us to remember. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Do you have that back there? All right, put it up there for me. Wherefore, therefore ye, whether ye, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. You know, it's funny that Samson didn't care about taking a wife of the Philistines and what that would do to God's name. And it's kind of interesting that Samson didn't care about making a bet with all those Philistines and then going out and killing some Philistines and then doing all the things he did, tying those foxes' tails together and sending them through all the fields. He didn't care about all those things. But now when his life was in danger, he's like, God, what are these Philistines going to think if you give me into their hand? But that should be a reminder to us that everything that we do our lives should be something that in every decision that we make, everything that we do, if you eat, do it to the glory of God. If you work, do it to the glory of God. If you're going to school, do your homework to the glory of God. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Anything that we do, our first thought should be, will this action glorify God or will it diminish His glory? Many times in Samson's life, it did the opposite. And in our lives, the actions, think about your actions today. Did you please God by the things that you did today? And you can ponder that and think on that one for a little bit. What's the primary goal of our lives? To glorify and praise Him. And our actions should follow that. We see Samson here, we see... <coughs> his condition we see his cry the number three we see tonight samson's consolation we see god's response letter a god's response but verse 19 but god clave a hollow place that was in the jaw and there came water thereout. and when he had drunk his spirit came again and he re he was revived wherewith he called the name of the place and i messed up once i'm not going to do it again which is called lehi unto this day I've always had a problem with this verse. And I know I should not have problems with verses. I know that God's word is true, and I know that God is always right, and I do not doubt that anyway. But there's something about Samson. <coughs> he was a Nazarite. He broke his vow over and over and over again, didn't he? Yeah, there are several things that he did. 
First off, he shouldn't, uh, a donkey was an unclean animal. Next thing, a dead donkey, dead animals, their carcasses, he should have nothing to do with it. Hard thing for me, and I'm telling you Brian's hard spot here, is that the Bible says that God claimed a hollow place that was in the jaw, and there came water there out. Why would God send water out of the jaw of the donkey that was already wrong for Samson to have in the first place? Now, a couple of responses to that. First off, God is God and he can do whatever he wants. And if I don't understand it, it's not my job to ever question God. He's always right and I will not question God on that. But there is a logical explanation right here for this, maybe. Is Brian stretching scripture here? I don't think so. There's a word used in this same verse and used in a few verses before it. It's called Lehi. You see the word Lehi? Lehi. That's the, that's the place where he was, which is in Lehi unto this day. You see, and he called the place Ramath Lehi. The thing that's interesting is the same Hebrew word for jaw is the same Hebrew word for Lehi. There's the same exact word. So could it possibly be that God just brought up water out of the ground in Lehi right there? He could have. That's possible. To me, that would make more sense because for God not to want Samson to do something and then provide him water out of the same thing he wasn't supposed to do doesn't make sense to me. But God is God, and he decides what he does, not me. So it is interesting, though, that the word jaw and Lehi mean the same exact same thing. They come from the same root word, same word. So um, if you want, you say, well, what? I don't care about that. Good, just don't care about that. That's good. It's just always bothered me just a little bit. And, uh, but they mean the same, they're the same, translated the same word, and so whatever the case may be. But what really matters here is the fact, and this, sometimes we get caught up on the, and Baptists are very good at getting caught up on little things. That would be one of those things to get caught up on. Do you know what the real blessing here is? The fact that God heard Samson's prayer and answered his prayer. That's what I see here. And just a reminder to us that we serve a God who hears and answers prayer. He invites us, the Bible tells in Jeremiah 33, 3, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and I will show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. He promises to hear us when we pray, and then he also promises to answer our prayers. There's no prayer that's too small, no prayer that's too large, none of those things, and we're invited to come and to come boldly before him with our prayers. And to cast all our cares upon him. And God made great promises to his people regarding prayer. And I'll tell you this, one of the areas we lack as the people of God is the area of prayer. Prayer works. Prayer is powerful. And yet we miss out on the great blessings of prayer. Let me encourage you to get to have a prayer life. I'm not saying a prayer time, I said a prayer life. Spend time in prayer every single day and multiple times for the day. The Bible says to pray without ceasing. Make God a part of your day. Talk to Him. Have a prayer life. I'll tell you this, do you have a prayer list? I, and I'm not going to say that it's that it's 100% sure, but most people who don't have a prayer list don't have a prayer life. 
because we don't know what to pray for. It's good to have a list. Have a, have a list that you pray. Have a prayer life. When something goes on, what's your first response to get on Facebook and tell the world about it? Is your first thing to drop to your knees and talk to God about it? We use prayer a lot of times as a last resort, but prayer works. And the Bible says, ye have not because ye ask not. A lot of our problems are prayer problems. And I wish I could tell you tonight your pastor is a master in prayer. I need work in my prayer life. We all need work in it. But prayer, it's a wonderful privilege that we can go before the King of Kings and talk to Him. Did you pray today? Like, I hope you did. We see Samson, we see God's response in letter B. We see Samson's revival. It's interesting, when Samson prayed, God heard him, and God answered Samson through the great miracle by giving Samson what he needed at the weakest moment in his life. When Samson took what God gave him, his strength was revived. There are times in our lives where we need spiritual revival. There are two basic times in life when God's people need revival. The first is in times of wickedness, and the second is in times of weakness. During both of those times, God, <coughs> we need the Lord to miraculously open his word and give us the resources and the strength that we need to get through and to push forward with where we're at. If we could ever just dive in deep to the word of God, and if we would seek God in, our, in times of wickedness and our times of weakness, he will revive our weary souls. Bible talks about be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. There's much benefit in hearing from God and heeding and honoring the word of God. But there's only defeat if we ignore what God has to say. It's important that we do what he tells us to and follow him. And God's given us a very deep well to dig from. If we could just, in, in all of our lives, you know, it's, I know it gets said often, read your Bible, pray. Read your Bible, pray. Read your Bible, pray. And I've had people sit in my office and be like, Pastor, you say, read your Bible and pray. They're like, there's got to be more. And there are lots of other things. I, I understand that. But the place to start, start with reading your Bible and praying. Start there. Get in the Word of God. Spend time in it. Dive into it. Pray and seek the Lord. Start there. And then there are times where you need more than that. You say, Pastor, you said you need more than God's Word. There are times where you'll need some counseling and some help in other areas and other things. But the place to start is the Word of God and prayer. That's where you start. That's the place to start. And if we could just get to where we would get in the Word of God, think to yourself this evening. When's the last time you read the Word of God? Well, we were in church on Sunday. That's not beneficial to your spiritual health not to be in the Word of God. We need the Word of God daily. We need it because this world, it's, it's a wicked world. And you just walk outside, you turn on the news, you, anything. This world's a wicked place. 
And we have the Word of God. We have prayer. We have the Holy Spirit of God. God's given us the tools that we need. Spend time in the Word of God. And I want to just challenge you tonight. Get in the Word of God. Fall in love with God's Word. Make it, make it, make it important in your life. Young people in the room, learn to love the Bible. What a book. There is no book like it. Learn to love it. Cherish it. You know, nowadays I wonder, do we care more about this little thing? Or do we care about this? You know, how would it be, young people, if I said, at camp you can have your cell phone, but you can't have your Bible? I don't think I'd get any complaints. But I say no cell phone for two days. <gasps> the world comes to an end. Fall in love with this book. We need this book. And then the, the typical teenage answer, but my Bible's on my phone. I know that answer. <coughs> good answer, good answer. And uh, but how we need the Word of God, it gives us, it revives our spirits. It's that fresh water that we need. And then we see, lastly, number four, we see Samson's change. Verse number 20, and he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. Now, I've, I've studied the Bible a long time, and I'll tell you, I'm not, the, I'm not the smartest guy around. I'm probably, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm probably about 2 and a half, 3 is my smarts. And my study habits, I've, I think I've got some good study habits, but I know there are many people that have way better study habits than I do, and they do a much better job in all those things. But I've read through the story of Samson over and over and over again. And uh, one of the things that I've changed in how I study the Word of God in the past year and a half it's been about a year and a half now. The Bible says man shall not live by bread alone, but every word. Words, I'm really just picking up on words. There's a reason why those words are there. There's no accident with God. Not one jot or one tittle is going to pass away. Crossing of the T, dying of the period. His words, they're there for a reason. I never picked up till I was studying for this message the fact that right there in verse number 20 it says and he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years then went Samson to Gaza there's a 20 year period right there I always thought that right after this happened he went to the harlot and it's like dude God just dude that's probably not the thing I should be saying but you know it just it fit right there God blesses you and God helps you out and God gives you water and then you go and get a harlot you you know, come on! Don't you have any, you, you, you humble yourself for five seconds and then, oh, another woman, here I go again. You know, that's what, that's what I thought was Samson. But there's 20 years of time that the Bible doesn't even talk about into that time. And you say, well, what, what, what are you trying to say? After the events at Lehi, it appears to me Samson has changed his ways for a little bit of time. He judged Israel in the days before 20 years. We don't know what happened during those 20 years. We don't know the exploits. But I would tend to think that this was a good time for Samson in his life. I think this was more of a time of letter A, there's obedience to God. Something that we notice about Samson most of his time and everything that we see 
But Samson obeyed what Samson wanted to do. And instead of doing what God told him to do, Samson did the opposite of it. And over and over again, that Nazarite vow, God had certain restrictions. God had certain things. He was separated unto God. And over and over again, he violated that. Be it the, <clears throat> the honey, the lion, all these different things that he did. And you say, well, pastor, you're stretching that. I am stretching it right here. But I'll tell you this. The most peaceful, happy, quiet times of all of our lives are the times that we're obedient to God and doing what God tells us to do. It's true. You think about this. God is looking for people that will be obedient to him. He wants us to honor his will. He wants us to yield to his authority. And he wants us to stand up for him in this wicked world that we live in. Obedience is a big deal to God. It was also a time of order. Our text seems to suggest the fact that this 20-year period was a time of peace for the people of Israel because there was no fighting going on against the Philistines during this time. And when you, if you want to enjoy peace and the blessings of God, it will happen as we submit to Him and let Him work. What I said there was not that, oh, your life's going to be perfect if you'll just obey God because... Like the teenagers tonight, we spent some time and talked about the fact, we looked at Paul and he talked about the afflictions of his life. He said how all these different things happen. But why did they happen? We looked at with the, I looked at it with the teenagers because God was working to make something better. And we get our eyes, it's there in 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, we get our eyes focused on what we can see we miss out on what we can't see, what God's really doing behind the scenes and what's going on in our lives. So I'm not telling you tonight, okay, obey God, and your life's going to be perfect. Who knows what struggles and what trials Samson had during this time. But there is a 20-year period here where it seems to me that things must have changed because what we see happen in chapter 16 and verse number 1 Samson goes back to his old ways. And he continues in his old ways for a while. Samson made a lot of mistakes in his life. One of the best things he ever did was humble himself to the mighty hand of God and submit to the will of God. What could I take away from this passage of Scripture tonight? I'm going to tell you what I took away from it as I'm studying it. First off, Brian is a very stubborn person. And I can want to do things in my own strength and in my own way. And if I'm not careful, I can be a lot like Samson. What i got to remember is that God is always there and that I can do nothing without Him. Without Him, I can do nothing. And there are so many times in life where we try to do things in our own strength. And my very, my very strongest moment physically probably one of my weakest spiritually and that's why it make the things of god don't make sense in this world because when i am physically weak and worn down that's when he can be spiritually strong and show his presence in my life wouldn't it be nice if we could be strong and he could be strong at the same time and we work together that would be great wouldn't it but 
when I get strong, I feel like I don't need him. And you know it's true. When I'm weak, that's when he's strong. We need him. It's important. and It's so important. You think about this. Has God brought you to a place of weakness in your life? Maybe he's trying to humble you. I look at some things in my life. There are some fears or anxieties in my life that I didn't used to have. And I think God does that to me to humble me. One of the worst things in the world, I'll tell you, and someone asked me on Sunday after church, they're like, Pastor, you said before when you'd preach that you always get scared and you always, before you step behind the pulpit, is it still that way? It is. Once I get in the zone and once we get going, everything's okay. But every Sunday, even tonight, when I walk up to the pulpit, I'm scared to death to get behind the pulpit and preach the Word of God. Number one, I don't feel worthy to preach it. I live with Brian day in and day out. I know how Brian is. That's number one. I give you about 10 points, but we don't have time for all those 10 points tonight. But growing up, the hardest thing for me was to get in front of people and to speak. It's still not easy for me. You know, going soul winning, we went out with the teenagers earlier, and uh, I'll go out soul winning, I'll knock on a door, and you would think the pastor of Victory Baptist Church, he would be real good at talking to people at their door. Um, no, I stumble upon my words. It's amazing. But I believe that one of the reasons, and I believe that one of the reasons why I'm, so, why I'm weak in that area is because I'm not going to depend on myself to get me through. I need God. If I'm going to get in this pulpit, I probably spend as much time praying to God that he'll help me as I preach his word and give me his spirit and his strength than I do the time I spend working on the sermon. Today I spent about two hours going over my sermon today alone. There's other times for the week. But I spent about two and a half hours begging God for his help tonight. It's good for me. It does keep me humble. And it's, I praise God for the way he can work in our lives it, through our weakness. Aren't you glad he can work through our weakness? I am. Are there areas in your life tonight that are not yielded to the Lord? Do you have something that you, some needs, something that you need to take to him? Do you need revival in your life? I don't know, but each of these lessons as we go through on Samson, there's so many things that I could be helped with. Take what the Lord's given you, apply it to your life, and grow from it. And let's not be like Samson in many areas, but I'll say it tonight. In this one that we read about tonight, his prayer, his humility, let's be like Samson. Let's seek after God. Father, I thank you for the time that we've had in your word tonight. I thank you for your faithfulness, and I thank you for your love. Thank you for being who you are, and thank you for your love, and I pray that you'd bless the end of our service here. <coughs> we love you, and we need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.